the Funk Racket Show, episode 71. I'm your host, my name is Emily, and I'm super passionate about punk rock music. Today, my guest is Joey Ciara of the band Near Beer from New York and Los Angeles. I discovered this band recently, so I was super happy to know more about them, and I had fun talking with Joey. You're gonna hear two Near Beer songs, and I also make you a repunkmendation for the band Irish Moutard from my local scene in Quebec City. I hope you're ready, my friends, because the show is starting now. Bonjour, punk rock humans. How are you today? I'm doing good. I'm having a great weekend so far. I'm recording this episode on Saturday night. It is currently 8.30 at night. So maybe you're thinking, hmm, this woman doesn't have a social life at all. <laughs> But it's not true because I had a blast last night on Friday night. It was my good friend Mathieu's birthday. So we went to eat a very, very good ramen meal with other friends. And then we attended to a nice show downtown outside on Saint-Joseph Street in Quebec City. My friends in the bands Ipshot and Scare were playing. Then I went home. I watched some new movies. I listened to some vinyl by myself with Metalisha. It was great. Aww. And it really cheers me up to record this episode right now because I have to admit that I was I've been pretty bummed today because I've been I've been watched the Netflix series The Man The Most Hated Man on the Internet talking about revenge porn, leaking some pictures. Um, you have to watch this. I've been so bummed, so pissed. I was crying out of rage today watching this. Uh, I can't believe that some people are monsters like this. Gosh. Fuck! So I'm happy to be in my safe place, in my home studio recording this episode and spending some time with you. Because punk rock is about speaking up for about those things. Those awful things. Trying to change the world and make it a better place. But it's also about listening to some music and take shelter with our favorite bands. I think punk rock is all of that. Also, I wanted to inform you that I'm going to skip a week of the podcast next week because I'm going to be very, very busy next weekend. I'm going to go to a great festival in Victoriaville. It's like an hour and 15 minutes away from Quebec City. The festival, the festival, the festival is called Rock La Cause. And I'll be very honored to host the first night on Thursday. But I'm gonna stay all weekend. And I'm gonna watch some great bands like Billy Talent, The Used, Rise Against, a lot of great local bands. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna host uh, on the Thursday night. So I'm gonna be on stage presenting the band. So I'm really, really excited. I need to get ready. I want to prepare. I want to research. And I won't have a lot of time to record an episode next weekend. So that's why 
Oh, I forgot to tell you that Face to Face will be on this festival too. Hmm. So among the bands that I'm going to present on Thursday night at Roclacos, there is a fantastic Irish punk band from Quebec City called Irish Moutarde. So they started playing together around 2010. So it's been a while, but they first started as an Irish punk tribute. Like they were playing a lot of Dropkick Murphy songs, etc. And they started to record their own songs. They released their first single in 2012. They released their first album in 2013, Raise Them All. And their latest album, Perdition is out since 2018. Let's listen to their song, The Poison Trail, that we can find on this latest album, Perdition. And I'm sure you're gonna feel the very energetic and party vibe that we can totally feel when they are playing live. Something 
And now it's time to listen to the great conversation I had with Joey Sierra of the band Near Beer. <laughs> I love to pronounce this. Uh, so, you know, it was the kind of conversation that is so interesting that you forget you are recording a podcast episode. <laughs> so that's what happened. Because, yes, we talked about his music background, how he formed the band. But we also talked about his job as a TV show writer and teacher at the UCLA. We talked about insomnia, <laughs> about uh, human feelings, getting older, touring, and of course about the Near Beer's new self-titled album that I really like. I love all the mix of influences on this album. I posted a story on Instagram recently while I was listening to the vinyl and I got a lot of comments of people like, wow, what is this band? I want to know more. And I'm like, I want to know more too. Let's have Joey on the podcast. <laughs> During the interview, you're going to hear my favorite song on the self-titled album, Paper Cups. And also, we talked a lot about the song Mixtape Generation during the chat. So you're going to hear it too. Enjoy. Hey, punk rock human. If you like merch as much as I do, I strongly repugnment you the website epicmerchstore.com. They have t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, hats, long sleeves, and kids merch for more than 200 punk rock, ska, hardcore, and metal bands from all around the planet. So if you like bands like Good Riddance, The Dreadnoughts, Friends of Rum, After the Fall, Diesel Boy, Crank, Straight Line, Polly, Randy, and many more. Oh, they also have a Tony Sly tribute merch. They support smaller and bigger bands from all around the world. Plus, they ship worldwide and you can have a flat rate shipping cost. Get your merch at epicmerchstore.com. So, uh, thanks for being here. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Uh, how is it up in Canada right now? <laughs> it's a really hot day today in Quebec. I think it's going to be 40 degrees Celsius today. So I don't know in Fahrenheit, but it's intense. Yeah, that's very hot. I, I, I just walked uh, to take some shoes back and it, I started sweating and I'm just covered in sweat right now. So it's Are you gross, in but... LA? Where are you on this crazy planet? Are you in LA? I'm in New York City. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. But mm. the band is in uh, LA. I live out here now. I moved out here last year. Uh, Oh. So we're a, we're a bi-coastal band, which means that we don't practice very much. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. So how, how does it work with the the writing? I think you, you do a lot of writing your, by yourself, probably. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I moved out here last year. So most of the record and most of the other songs that we've done have been, um, you know, we did like in the last three years or so. And actually, oh. a lot of the songs are, are like I've had for 10 years Um yeah so yeah it, it, oh. there's nothing that i like need to go and have like band practice like every week uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the band guys are pretty good if we need to play some shows i'll go fly back yeah exactly we'll practice. a lot of yeah. bands are working this way yeah i mean yes. <laughs> something nice about not living right next to your band guys <laughs> <laughs> you need yeah. some emotional distance I'm, actually what's fun is that you have a good uh, one <laughs> uh, Every once in a while, you know, we hop on like a Zoom call just to kind of like hang out because I think we do miss each other. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. And, you know, we don't, we don't have the like every week we're doing, mm -hmm. you know, four hour band practices. So, yeah. I don't know. so absence makes the heart grow fonder. 
Yeah, I absolutely want to talk about the band, of course. But first, I, I want to know about your personal background because the band is recent, but you have an impressive background about like music. Also, you have other jobs. You're in UCLA. <laughs> so uh, I just want to know more about you first before we talk about the band. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess... It's funny because like going through like a lot of like your uh, back catalog of people you've interviewed, I feel like there's like a disproportionate amount of Southern California like punk rockers, yeah. and like you just had Ephraim from Death by Stereo, and like I my my uh, I went to the same high school as like a oh, lot really? of the guys from Death by Stereo and like Atreyu, like we had like it was like the Orange County uh, it was the Orange yeah. County kind of punk scene, and the very first band I was ever in. Uh, in like seventh and eighth grade was with like Brandon from Atreyu. It was his first like punk band. Nice. <laughs> um, and we, we played Blitzkrieg Bop at our high school talent show. And it like, pretty sure it ruined us for the rest of our lives because we'll always, we'll always be chasing the glory of uh, Blitzkrieg Bop at the eighth grade talent show. Um, nice. <laughs> yeah. Ever since then, I've been in, ever since then, I've been in bands for, uh, with the exception of a few <laughs> a few dark months where I was like oh uh, not in a band <laughs> um, mm. and then I had to start a band again so uh did bands went to school I, I, did, I did bands for a while or I did like high school but I was in punk bands mm -hmm. uh, and then in college my the singer for my punk band uh <laughs> sort of like just up and like left and moved across the country and just like kind of like closed off like the band chapter of his life very just, abruptly just like you did but you you didn't end the band though <laughs> yeah yeah he, he 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 was going through something and he like yeah, he yeah, yeah. definitely uh just kind of <laughs> put the axe on like all things rock and roll and it kind of broke my heart because that, at that point i was like oh shit what do i do like mm -hmm. this guy was like my best friend and like also was the singer oh. I didn't have a good singing voice. And then I just was like, I guess nobody's going to do it. I have to step up and do it. And so that was a challenge. And that's when I started like being a singer in the band. because I had to like functionally wow. uh, keep the band going. And so, yeah, that was, I guess that was a fairly defining moment because in the history of my band. Before that, you didn't know you could be a lead singer. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I definitely don't have a great voice. <laughs> uh, cool. And it's something that I, you know, it's uh, like the guy who was the singer in my old band, he had a great voice and he just can like mm. hit all the notes and he had like, it, it felt like very particular. Uh, and so, yeah, against him, like I, I had like a two note range <laughs> and kind of like bark out some lyrics. Uh, and so I think I had like, a, you know, very insecure about like, oh, it's, like yeah, who, who the hell do I even think I am to try to like go sing. But then at some point, like, a lot of the music I liked, the singers aren't like great singers. And it, so I think I found some confidence in just uh, embracing that I didn't need to be mm -hmm. a good singer to be in a nice. rock and roll band. So. Good. Um, so, okay, you always had a, at bands and punk rock bands or like you're also into rock music and so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like. Um, Growing up, it's definitely being in Orange County at a certain time and place. It was like, uh, it did feel like 
I grew up on a heavy dose of like skater punk bands, like all the Fat Records bands and mm-hmm. Epitaph. It was just like a glory days for that kind of music. I graduated high school, or I went to high school in like the late nineties. And like, again, going and being able to see Death by Stereo when I'm like 15 years old or Whoa. going to like shows at like the showcase in Toronto, you know, that was just such a huge part of my, uh, my, my youth. Um, and so, yeah, always having like that punk background, but then at some point, you know, I think my dad's classic rock collection <laughs> did seep in at some point. And so yeah. whether it's the who or Tom Petty or Beatles or whatever, like I always, um, or the kinks, the kinks are one of my favorites. I always had like this like classic rock backbone mm-hmm. and my, I have uncles that always like get together and they play guitar and they sing, you know, whatever, Simon and Garfunkel or the kinks or whatever. And that was just always part of like my family dynamic growing up. Um, and so, yeah, I think a lot of music, a lot of music I'm interested, like you can see there's influences here, but then there's also influences here and they like are able to like smash them together. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, it works better than other times. Um, but yeah, I do feel like the classic rock, you know, thing is part of who I am growing up and then the punk rock thing is part yeah. of who I am growing up and you know some at some level the band has always been trying to like synthesize between these two uh influences I, I guess I always feel like people who grew up in California are so so lucky because you were there to see like all those amazing like you said fat record bands but like back in the days directly it was like your local scene <laughs> for me it's like whoa So Lagwagon, No FX, Pennywise, all, it's his local scene. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it was, it, it definitely felt special. And like, it, that's something I didn't quite realize until you move away from California. Because yeah, exactly. I think that, mm-hmm. you know, at the, at the time being uh, a teenager in Orange County in LA, like, Mm-hmm. I, you just assume that this is normal <laughs> um and then in reality it's not nearly as normal as I, I guess that I had imagined it was uh, mm-hmm. and then yeah not until I really like got out of LA and, and moved away did I realize like oh this that LA like that sound that skater yeah. punk sound strung out and yeah lagwagon I went to school in Santa Barbara and Santa Barbara the lagwagon guys were from up there and like it just was like it was a very SoCal sound and I don't quite know I mean it's like kind of hard to like put your finger on like what exactly it is mm-hmm. there's something that I kept on thinking about uh the musicians were all very good and proficient yeah. like you listen to like uh you listen to Strung Out or you listen to Lagwagon and it's like very technical and mm-hmm. uh also the Death by Stereo guys like the music is more technical than a lot of like punk rock quote-unquote punk rock true um And so I think that that's, I don't know, maybe that's like the uh, musical addition that uh, those SoCal skater bands did. They're like, they made it so you had to be actually good at your instruments, um, which is maybe what I struggled with because I was always like, eh, okay, guitar player, but not, oh. you know, I couldn't do the super fast chugging and stuff like that. So um, I don't know, maybe, yeah. maybe part of like <laughs> our band's uh, sound and what we do is is uh, a compensation for the fact that I could never quite do the chugging that fast or the playing uh, that fast. Or... I think you're hard on yourself, but <laughs> all yeah. musicians are. 
yeah, it's good to be hard on yourself, I think, as a musician, because you gotta, you gotta aspire to be a little bit better, but, um, yeah, yeah, I guess that's also just and part of my neuroses. On the side of uh, music, you're also into TV writing, and you're teaching, so I absolutely want to know more <laughs> about that, too. I think it's really punk. <laughs> it's, it's weird. Uh, I've had a, a, a not super conventional journey, but, um, I love this. Yeah, in my 20s, so after college, I, you know, uh, was in another band called the Henry Clay People, yeah, and he started... for a long uh, time, uh, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we were a band from, like, 2006 through 2012 or 13, mm -hmm. uh, but, like, able to, able to tour, like, and, you know, not like we were making <laughs> lots of money on it, but we were able to yeah. tour and, like, exist and pay our rent for about five years uh, and so that was like my my job and then I hit 30 like right when I turned 30 we had a couple bad tours where we went and oh. we like opened for were for some bands that were like we opened for <laughs> I don't want to like talk shit on a band we opened for a band and their audience like hated like just like hated us no <laughs> and it was for our own it was really tour? um oh. yeah we were on we we're on it was like a whole tour um and <laughs> like it was three bands and like uh uh one of the bands, like the opening band, we, we were the second of three. And okay. The opening band, everybody like loved them, <laughs> and they they've gone on to do really well at the, the front bottoms. Um, like they went on and did really well for themselves. Then we were up <laughs> after the front bottoms, and people were like, "These <laughs> these guys can't play that well. Fuck these guys." No. And then uh, every and night then, or just one. Yeah, show? you know, I don't know. There were there were a couple shows that I felt like we won over the audience. Um, but yeah, it just felt like that tour was not the right tour for us to be on. And then we did one more headlining tour after that. And it just felt like maybe we shouldn't be, maybe, maybe the band is like <laughs> hit the end. Uh, oh. and we were turning, I, I was turning 30 that year. And then I ended up like saying, you know what, I think it's time to hang up the band. And so my, my, uh, the dark period of my life mm. <laughs> was when I decided to quit playing rock and roll music went back to grad school um, and then only like three months into grad school, I was like, I really miss being in a band. I really yeah. miss like my guitar. And so then uh, I, I was in grad, I went to grad school over like over here in the East Coast um, and you know, just like uprooted my life and just like moved across the country and was away from all my band, my band people. Um, mm -hmm. And then at some point my brother who was also in the band with me, he went to like film school and I was going into like education and different grad school. And he was like, dude, you should have gone to film school. It's like, it's way better. <laughs> it's like <laughs> full, full of artsy people. It's like the same kind of like, it's the same kind of like artsy, interesting people yeah. vibe. Um, and then I was going to school. I was going to like education school where people like wake up thinking about like education policy mm -hmm. and things that are great for like, good humans but it's not the thing that I was waking up thinking about um, and so then I ended up coming back to LA and I went to grad school for film um, writing and then uh, ended up getting into uh, into some TV writing I wrote for wow. a show on ABC I just wrote on a show uh, with my brother um, that is now on the air called The Resort it's on a uh, it's on Peacock and I don't know it's a weird It's like a it's true a crime love story. I checked the, the trailer. It seems great. 
Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a weird one. It's fun. It's about uh, a like married couple goes on a vacation down in Mexico, and they find this like cell phone in the jungle that belongs to this kid that went missing. Nice. And then they try to, you know, if they can only solve like what the mystery is, then uh, maybe they can like fix their their marriage. And then it just goes from there. It just goes, you know, bonkers. It goes crazy, um, and it oh. takes some interesting turns. And it was really fun to work on. I mean, I like working with my brother. I like. Uh, all the other writers that were part of the show were cool, smart, interesting. And I think uh, you have to bring kind of like, I think part of the re- the way that I've been able to exist in the TV world and same with my brother is like growing up in the punk rock world, there's a, there's a certain kind of like angst or like breaking yeah. over the rules that I feel like a lot of TV or a lot of um, Hollywood people don't quite have, but if you can, if you can do that and like with pride and edge and like wow. also humanity, which I think is ultimately at the end of the day, all the punk stuff I love, I think has like this very human, it has like a big yeah. human heart. Um, and I kind of feel like the writing part, uh, you know, the edge that we have in our writing is, is largely based upon the like shit that we grew up listening to. That's um, amazing. I, I I absolutely don't know anything about TV writing and and stuff. But um, how is it to work with many other at the same time for one show? Do you feel like you have a total freedom to write whatever you want? How does it work? Like the creative process. Compared to writing songs, maybe, maybe you can do a comparison. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, it's, uh, it's, it varies show to show. So like, just like every band, I'm sure it varies band to band. Like every band, mm-hmm. there, I've been in bands that are like very democratic. Like everybody has equal say. I've been in bands where it's like, well, you're the leader. And then we just mm-hmm. try to like honor yeah. your, your voice. Writing rooms are, are very similar. Like the person who created the show is called the showrunner mm-hmm. um and usually the, that's the showrunner and they are the they're the creative lead and sometimes they want a very democratic room where it's like oh like wow. best idea wins and sometimes they're like here's my vision here's what i want to do and you guys oh. help me honor this vision and so i've been in both kinds of rooms before uh, uh with my brother's show the the resort the mm-hmm. most recent one i felt like that, that one would uh You know, it's definitely his vision, but I think he was also very good at being democratic and like really wanting to get nice. the best ideas out of the writers. And like, you want to foster a sense of collaboration, like, um, and you want people to feel that they see themselves in the show too. Like, just like, a, you know, you want the bass player to be like, that's my bass part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and like, I, I have pride in my bass part and I love that I can like, you know, have this say in the song or uh you know the drummer or the guitar player like everybody needs to have their sense of identity mm-hmm. in the song um and i think it's the same thing for a writer's room we want to be able to see like oh yeah like that character i relate to that character more so when we talk about that character i might be the one who oh. has more pitches or more ideas about storylines for that character uh that happened a lot in the show. Like there's different characters that I think all of us gravitated towards. Uh, oh. And there's different storylines that I think all of us kind of like, that's our like pet storyline. That's our favorite storyline. Oh um, yeah. Oh, that's great. I love that. And uh, you're teaching also at UCLA. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so I, I did I did some school there, and then at the end of it, um, once I start once I started getting like professional jobs, UCLA likes to hire faculty that uh, have experience, you know, in the industry. Um, and so, you know, I, I started doing, I did like a summer school class and I really liked it. Um, and it's interesting because that first, dig, uh, when I went, first went back to grad school, I went for education. Um, and so I had an interest in teaching and I had a slight background in teaching. And uh, <laughs> in between our tours back in the Henry Clay people days, I would often come back and I would basically do like the Jack Black School of Rock stuff where I would go and like, you know, between tours, I would go teach for this uh, company that would do like rock band stuff where you'd go to elementary schools, form a band and like, you know, I would teach bands how to do remotes or Blitzkrieg Bop or I would teach bands how to do like some like Arcade Fire song or something. Um, and so, I don't know, I'd always had an interest in teaching and I like teaching. I also think teaching is very similar to like, being in a band too, like you have to, if you're the front person of the band, your job is to like, especially in punk music, is to build a sense of like yeah. community and like, hey, we love you, you love us, like we trust each other. Let's like we're in this together. Yeah, you're that's the thing that I love about it. You're spreading the the values, the message, the yeah, the spirit. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally it, it is it is uh, the you know the kind of teaching that I do is like it's about stories or it's about history or you know literature so it is a it is about human stuff and so you know I don't know if I'd be able to be as successful doing this if I was teaching geometry or something but because <laughs> there are human stories or human things I think that uh, I see a very a clear parallel between what it's like to teach versus what it's like to be behind a microphone on a stage um and then yeah and the punk rock thing is just like really kind of like mm -hmm. it's about respect i think like mm -hmm. if, i felt what was so cool coming up in this you know music world is that like my favorite bands seem to have a respect for the audience or like oh, yeah. and their fans and it was mutual like And it's not the, the music I like isn't the kind of music where it's like, I am, I am the God on the stage and you are the little people below. No, it's about like, mm -hmm. you're a human, I'm a human, we connect, we're, we're in this together and my energy feeds off your energy. So uh, I do like to bring that to the, like, the classroom and I go through like a list of like, you know, at, for the last class, every yeah. time I do my final class, I do like a list of like 20 things that I think they need to know as like writers and then I have like a 21st one and it's just be punk rock, like take all the <laughs> rules, but then like break them. Yes. Um, yeah. So. Wow. Hey, speaking of punk rockers in UCLA there, uh, I think Greg Graffin of Bad Religion <laughs> used to teach there or still teaches there. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think he does. Um, yeah, yeah, there's an interesting like history of like fairly academic like punkers like the offspring yeah. dude and Greg Graff and then I think Milo did something uh -huh. I, I, he got a PhD or something yeah it's <laughs> it's interesting because I feel like there's a yeah you know a lot of I, I found a lot of punks to be like very smart you know um and what attracts us to punk at the, mm -hmm. the when we're younger I think is like a little bit of like an outsider angst but 
often like the people that have the outsider angst have it because they were like, mm-hmm. yeah, my, my brain is firing <laughs> at all times and, and I, I want more and I, I'm yeah. hungry for more. Uh, and yeah, sometimes that translates into doing well academically. True. I, I have some, uh, we have some local bands here. Like uh, one of my favorite local bands is called uh, Get the Shot. They are a really hardcore punk band and the singer is teaching at a, a philosophy class in college. <laughs> And he's going on tour all the time. Like it's a very successful band and he's like full of tattoos and he's screaming, <laughs> but like, it's, it's totally punk. You know, it's, he's spreading like, um, very inclusive values. And then he's teaching. And I relate to that too, because I'm a former, uh, social worker. So, you know, I think it's, yeah, so I, yeah, no. I understand this vibe of, I'm doing a, a job that is punk, and I, I, after that, I need to to scream in a mic or sing in yeah. a mic, and I need to write songs, and you know. <laughs> I I totally get it, and I I I love that. And I do feel like yeah, a lot of the people that I know that grew up in punk have gone towards jobs that have mm-hmm. are like more social justice minded, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, but. <laughs> sometimes like your day job also makes you have to like uh, get it out at a show yeah. on stage you know um yeah i love this i love that and then it was funny i did this last we did a little tour uh a few weeks ago and i've been teaching summer school but it's all on zoom oh um and so my students kept on seeing like why is my teacher in a different room every time he's doing the zoom class and are I, you I, in I, a I band <laughs> Yeah, I didn't, I didn't tell them. I don't like advertise to my kids. Like, by the way, I'm, I'm in a band because, you know, I want to like True. keep that separate. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, they were like, you're in a, you're in a hotel, you're at somebody's house, you're at somebody else's house, a different hotel. Like, Are you in a smelly van? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, th- there was one day where I was like, am I going to have to teach the Zoom like actually in the van? And then I, I, I figured out a way to like not have to do that. But That's for funny. a little bit, I was worried. Yeah. Uh, And okay, let's talk about Near Beer, which is a very complicated band name to say when you're a French speaker. Near Beer. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I, 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 I didn't beer. think about uh, that in advance. But <laughs> no, but it's my apologies. Sim- it's super simple. It's just there are some words like this that I, I struggle with, but it's just funny. So how did you form the band? It's pretty recent. Uh, so, I mean, uh, it's interesting. So that one, um, I'd been, again, in my 30s, I'd been in a bunch of other bands, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and none of them quite like lasted. Um, you know, I was in a band that we that was doing okay called Fakers and then the singer for that band or one of the singers from that band um, who was in the band Piebald, uh, oh. he, mm-hmm. uh, he decided to move to New Orleans and that kind of, the band kind of broke up after that moment um, because we all kind of agreed that like that band was very democratic and like if one oh. person goes and the band is over. Oh, yeah, and yeah. So he moved to New Orleans, the band split up. And so then I found myself bandless once again oh um and then me and uh, you know i was just at like a, i think a pool party at a friend's house and me and this guy jeremy who had always been kind of a fixture of the music scene that we came up in um i think we were just talking about just going to see some show we saw this band teenage fan club play and i love teenage fan club and i just felt like man 
those guys are like older, but they're doing it. And they, like, it just, they seem to have so much joy and it brings the audience so much joy and like, fuck it, dude, let's, let's figure out a way to just do this band thing. I, like, I don't care what we have to do, but let's just, I know I'll be happier playing music. He agreed. Um, and then, yeah, we found this, uh, one of the old guys who produced, uh, old guys, don't, don't tell him <laughs> I said that. Uh, the guy who produced like the last couple Henry Clay records, who I have a really good relationship with, um, who's the one who also made us call ourselves near beer. His name's Dan. And oh. Dan, uh, Dan was like, yeah, I'll be in your band, but we have to call ourselves near beer. And I was like, why? Okay. Okay. Well, I whatever. This. I love this, but why? He, I think because he thought that we, uh, he, he's a dad. And then the other guy he got to play drums was this guy, Adam, who used to play drums for Shudder to Think. Um, and he played for Jawbox for a little bit too, mm-hmm. um, I believe. Uh, and then they were like, they're dads. <laughs> Dan and, and Adam were, were very like dad band. And they just kind of felt like they were post like the like heavy drinking rock and roll days. And so they were like, we're, we're more of a near beer band. Uh- <laughs> um, and so... Uh, you know, but it was the time when our first show was coming up and we didn't have a name and Dan insisted that like, we call ourselves near beer for at least the first show. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, sure, whatever. We put it on the flyer and then Dan <laughs> and Adam have both since left the band. Uh, but with the name, we're still stuck with the, the goddamn name. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, and I don't love the name, but I don't know. It's also... It's like, okay, my I have a duet. It's an acoustic punk rock uh, tribute band uh, with my friends. So we are playing acoustic covers and uh, it's a little the same thing. We didn't know how to call the band back in the days. And it, it was uh, during the time that when uh, everyone was reading Fifty Shades of Grey. So, <laughs> so we did one show and I was like, okay, let's call us, let's call ourselves Fifty Shades of Punk Rock. <laughs> But I, I, at the time, I haven't read the book, but I, I knew everyone loved it. So, but the name stayed. And, and after that, I read a little of the book and I was like, oh my God, this is so bad. Oh no, I can't believe. But it was too late. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think about, there's like so many, there's so many good punk band names, but there are also so many bad <laughs> band names. And I'm sure that like, if you really pulled every band, I bet 50% of bands would be like, yeah, I don't love our name, but whatever, we're stuck with it. Oh, I and, should yeah. ask. Oh my God, that's a good question idea for the listeners. What are the worst band names, but now we associate with yeah. great music, so it's fine. Okay, I'll take yeah, note of this. Yeah, yeah I, I, I love that. And I think a lot of bands probably are like, oh, every time I have, like, because, you know, in interviews and stuff, often that is a question mm-hmm. people ask, like, oh, how did you come up with that name? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a good story and sometimes it's like there's it's a bad story there's nothing to it and or I my friend drunkenly scribbled it on a napkin and we stuck with it you know uh (laughs) I I I don't know I I do think that probably 50 percent of bands yeah actual band name that's a all the that's a topic for a whole episode of the podcast I love this so so the band is uh so you have um you released a first EP uh a few years ago or last year i think so yeah uh, we'd had the songs we started recording right before the pandemic happened or we started recording Mm -hmm. the summer not right before but the summer before the pandemic um and because we all had jobs i was working on a show um 
And, yeah. you know, the band, we lost a guitar player and we were just taking our sweet time. Also, we were paying the guy who uh, was recording us. We were, we're paying him like the, the cheap deal. And so that meant that anytime he had like a band that would come in and that oh. would like pay him like <laughs> real money, we would get bumped. And so several times we got bumped uh, <laughs> and he'd, be, he'd call us, he'd be like, hey, I'm really sorry, but like, I got a band who's gonna pay me like my full price. Uh, and we, you know, we were like, oh, cool, fine. We'll, we'll figure out another weekend. And then it would often be like six weeks later, eight weeks later, we, we, you know, but there was something cool about like piecing together the record in like whatever few hour scraps that we can, we can get. And then the pandemic hit and he, uh, for a while, you know, nobody was doing anything and we like had to cancel a little tour and, yeah. uh, and then he, the producer called us up and said, hey, listen, like most of my bands that were going to record with me have canceled. So my schedule is like wide open. Whoa. And I know I, I kept <laughs> I kept on like pushing you guys and bumping you guys like let's finish this record and let's make the record you guys want to make. And so which was really cool. And he didn't charge us more for it. And he just said, come in and let's just take as much time and figure mm-hmm. out this record. So, you know, uh, the it was like kind of like this uh joyful thing during a very bleak time because every few days the band would get together in the studio and we Mm -hmm. would we just worked on the record and we tried stuff we put like way too many guitars on and then we would pull them all off uh you know tried different like vocal mics it was just really fun to kind of experiment with the record in a way that we normally would not have had Mm -hmm. the uh, opportunity to but that also meant that that record and the EP is a, of a batch of like 17 songs that started three years ago, like oh. pretty much three years ago, like to, to the day. It's, it was August uh, 20, uh, 2019, I believe, that we started recording this, which when I think about that, that's way too long to sit on songs. Um, I th- so, it yeah. happens. Yeah, yeah, it, ha- it happens. Uh, and, you know, once the pandemic happened, we, we weren't like necessarily in a hurry to put anything out because we're mostly a live band and we like people seeing us live. Mm-hmm. And so if we didn't have shows to promote our stuff, mm-hmm. then we didn't really see much function of just, just putting it out. Um, but at, at some point we got restless and uh, decided like, no, we, we, need, we need to put these up songs out. And it was, it's been cool putting them out. And then, Double Helix Records. Um, yeah, great people. Who, yeah, great Jeff people. and Emily are uh, very are delightful human beings. Oh yeah. And um, my history with Jeff goes way back. We, he, <laughs> uh, so Jeff from Double Helix liked one of my high school bands uh, and paid for us to like, uh, or he put out he put out like a split uh, CD with my high school band and this band called uh wheelie and then yellow card and jack's broken heart and it was just like emo punk kind of like four-way split cd (laughs) um and then jeff like signed my old high school band and then that was the band that i told you about with the singer just Mm -hmm. kind of up and left and and you know it was my sophomore year of college and he just like up and just left um and so I think that broke Jeff's heart a bit um, and broke my heart too, because mm. that record all of a sudden was just dead. Like, <laughs> w- w- what are you going to do when the singer just kind of walks yeah. out and doesn't come back? 
Um, and then my other band, the Henry Clay people, Jeff paid for us to, or Jeff was putting out our first record, um, Carl Black was the kid with the red mustache, which we recorded partly in Portland, but partly up in Montreal. Oh, yeah. Um, and then during that record, I think the band was like, you know, having some, <laughs> we were having a tough time. And I think we like spent all of our money and we were like almost oh. stranded in Montreal, barely trying, barely able to like scrounge up enough cash to fly back home. And at some point, I think, uh, Jeff and the band kind of parted ways. Um, and that record, uh, now Double Helix is actually going to re-release that record on vinyl. Yeah. Um, but for a while, you know, I, 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 Jeff, Jeff and us parted ways. And then luckily, I, we could kept in touch every once in a while. And then uh, in the last few years, he's come back into my life, brought Emily mm-hmm. uh and they are two of the best people. And it just feels also like cool to trust somebody who you've known for over 20 years now. Oh yeah, uh, totally. And so he, you know, he's among the most like trustworthy human beings that I know. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to doing this music thing, like you want to be around people that you love. Right. And, and, uh, Jeff, Jeff has felt like a part of my family mm. now for, yeah, and, and you have to trust your label. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Good. Like another, uh, for a long time, I feel like it was like a cool thing for bands to like talk shit on record labels. And, it, and I'm like, I, I love a record label. They're great. And also what's cool is that, you know, there's a, I feel like they're starting back up after not doing it for a while. And so there's like a new energy that they have to, to it and the bands that they're signing and the records they're putting out are all passion projects for mm-hmm. them. And I mean, it's, it's kind of a similar thing that I tell my students when they're writing stuff, like only write something that you want to spend, you know, a good chunk of a year to five years, like thinking about and like yeah. living with, uh, it's not worth putting something out or writing something that you don't love. And so I feel Jeff brings that, uh, Jeff and Emily bring that energy to all the projects that they do for Double Helix. Yeah. I love the title of the EP, uh, Sleeping is for Suckers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, I have a bit of insomnia. Uh, and, oh, uh, man, if you, I've, have, I've, if you have some advice for me, because I have insomnia too, and it's not even uh, anxiety. It's just, it's just like, I, I, fell, I fell asleep for like 45 minutes. Then, whoop. I'm awake. Good morning. And then I can stay up for not up, but awake for like three hours because I'm just awake. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, I've struggled with it. Uh, I do, you know, I, I like reading a lot. Um, and then sometimes I'll do like, I'll go and listen to like an audio book or something. And if you pick like the right boring British author uh first narrator who's who's like narrating the <laughs> audiobook it can it can put you to sleep i'm listening to one right now and it's like colin firth narrating like the end of the affair and like after 20 minutes or something i'm like oh you know. good okay uh, so yeah listen to colin firth audiobooks if you want <laughs> to uh that's the cure for insomnia uh. um no i it's interesting because i uh and i I've had this argument too about 
you know, the amount of life that a human lives, we measure it and like, oh, well, he lived till he was 84 years old or she lives till she was 90. Mm -hmm. And like, in my brain, on some level, like, I almost wish you can like translate it to just hours you're awake (laughs) because (laughs) I'm sure there are people that are like 90, but they slept through like half their lives. And so, (laughs) no, you're really 45. And, uh, Maybe people with insomnia, like, cool, I, I made it to 80, but I've really lived 70 years because <laughs> I've been awake most of the time. I love this. So we should say I died at, I don't know, a million hours. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't it, know the numbers, but like, oh. But it's probably not healthy uh, to not sleep. So <laughs> no, yeah. That's I, don't, I don't know. I, so, I do think that a lot of my best work comes you know um often because as a result of of uh maybe not sleeplessness but like sometimes at the dead of night when nobody is awake around you like like it allows you to have to be productive in a way that um during the day i'm always getting there's always an email coming in and there's like a a new news thing or something that distracts you but like Mm -hmm. at 3 30 in the morning (laughs) it's just gonna be you and your thoughts and a piece of paper or a word document or whatever it is. Um, or some, so, uh, some emails from very drunk people <laughs> coming back from bars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Usually at that point, I said those, those yeah. aren't as, <laughs> as helpful, but yeah, I do. I think everybody that is creative needs to figure out like what part of the day are you most optimal, optimal, mm-hmm. optimally uh, creative? Like what's the part of the day that you like, crank out the best stuff yeah. um, and it changes I've had periods where I've like I wake up early and I, I can be really productive um lately that's been a thing I wake up at like five in the morning and I can't fall back asleep and so I just go out to my living room and sometimes I'll work till like seven wow. thirty, and then I fall asleep till 10 yeah um, why not and that's the, that's the nice part about having uh I mean I'm I'm, I'm lucky now the uh any writer's room stuff that i'm doing because i'm on the east coast and writer's rooms are typically on the west coast i don't start till like 12 or one o'clock um so i like having my mornings yeah Yeah. Um, but then i also the other side of it is that you know at nine o'clock i'm often still working here or if I teach my classes um I was teaching on the west coast and the classes were often from six to nine at night Mm. but for here that's till midnight so I'm sure I have like neighbors in my apartment who hear me shouting about like (laughs) the ending of some movie and they're like (laughs) shut up you know (laughs) that's amazing Uh, okay so we talked about the the EP and you also released a self-titled full album recently yeah great and uh, I think it's really you said something earlier in the conversation. You said that you love the very, I don't know how you said that, but the positive energy of your band member. And I feel like when I listen to the album, I, I haven't um, analyzed the lyrics because it's, it's weird because I speak French. So I, I feel like sometimes I just don't hear the words. I, I need to concentrate on it too. So, but, but the first impression I have is it's, it's super uplifting. It's super positive. I listen to your album and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So that's great. That makes me very happy. I uh, it's I don't know. Maybe maybe you're writing about super dark stuff. I <laughs> didn't check yet. So you tell me. I mean, it's it's both of those things. Like, which I I'm I'm glad that I'm glad that it is like an uplifting, joyful thing. Because yeah, there are parts. I think that the things that I am most attracted to in music, which we talked a little bit about in punk rock, is that you can be heavy and dark and talk about, mm -hmm. you know, dark subjects and ins insomnia, but you can also do it in like a fist, rock and roll, fist in the air, yeah, kind of like exuberant way. Ska music, uh, ska music is a little that way. It's like, let's party, but the world is falling apart. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's that's a beautiful. Uh, there's like a beautiful cognitive dissonance between that and like mm -hmm. the thing that I think that is so interesting is that like a lot of people go like, well, punk music is like angry and angsty and yada yada yada, but I also see, yeah, it, it can be that and yeah. joyful at the same time, um, and I think that that's some of, that's something that people don't quite. I, I think a lot of people don't quite understand about like how you can like have two uh, competing emotions going at the same time. And to me, that's interesting. Like I, I always talk about this with my students when we analyze our favorite movies and like the ending of the movie, like if you watch E.T. or something, the ending of the movie, I ask the kids, I'm like, is this a happy ending or is this a sad ending? Uh, E.T. E goes <laughs> back in this thing, Elliot cries, but it's like yeah. a happy ending. And I think it's it's both. It's bittersweet. It is mm -hmm. like sad but happy. And like because it is two emotions at the same time, that cognitive dissonance creates something that is more interesting that stays with us. And I think a lot of music is the same thing. It is yeah. depressing and heavy, but also like life affirming and like fuck yeah, like mm -hmm. uh, it, while it's heavy, we can still get through it together if we play it loud enough, fast enough, and like high five each other in the audience. Yeah. Yeah, and we don't like the the ET movie. We it's okay not to pick if it's happy or sad. It's okay to just ad admit that it's both. And it's about all thing in life. Sometimes we have mixed feeling about I don't know a breakup, and it's okay. So, but sometimes I think we feel like we need to be black or white. You know? Yeah, but, I, 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 you're totally. Uh, It is the human thing to want to like categorize things mm -hmm. and like this is positive, this is negative, this is happy, this exactly. is sad. But I think that the most human thing is that like we are capable of holding complicated ideas at the same time and yeah. happy and sad. It's, uh, <laughs> there's a Pixar movie called Inside Out that the thesis of the movie is like basically that. Mm -hmm. I, I love that I'm on like a punk rock show talking about a Pixar animated movie, but it's it's that it's like you can hold joy and sadness at the same time and part of growing up is accepting that like the black and white structures are not yeah. black and white they're various shades of to bring it all back to your uh band name various <laughs> shades of gray <laughs> yeah true <laughs> so and uh so you what do you like to write about like insomnia but also Uh, for TV or for or the no or for for, uh, for music music yeah I mean I think a lot of it is um, they're all honest songs about uh, you know where I'm at in various stages of life so you know I'm in my later 30s 
there's all there's several things that go into being in this like wave of my life um you know and part of it is like letting go of some of the ideas of who you were when you were younger Mm -hmm. um learning to accept you know uh, learning to accept like mortality in a different way Ah, you know in the last five years or so um or I mean, since the pandemic started, mm-hmm. I've known five, like five people that were closer to me at different periods in my life have died. Mm. Um, and that's, that's a high number comparatively for me <laughs> based, you know, compared to any other yeah. phase of my life. And so it's just interesting to be like, oh, mortality and the and human, there's, uh, humans are, you know, resilient, but also more fragile than I think I realized and as I get to this age, I start to realize that. How so, old are you? You said late 30s? I'm, yeah, I'm 39. I'm 38 and a half. So I, I understand. Right. Last, like a few days ago, I was like, oh, my, maybe I have half of my life uh, spent already. But my active and healthy life, oh, it's more than that. Yeah, well, and because you're, uh, we're, now we're going to measure how many hours you're awake, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, awakened, my awakened hours life is more than yeah. a half spent. <laughs> I don't know how to say yeah, that. It's, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a life well lived. But yeah, there's a... We have actually one of the songs on the record is called Dead Drummers. They're very on the nose, but it was this drummer um, or this guy that had been kind of a fixture of the scene and he had filled in for the Henry Clay people sometimes. And then we started another band in between Fakers and Near Beer. I started another band with this guy and uh, he also played in my friend's band, The Pretty Flowers. And he was just like kind of this exuberant guy who would be at every show and would be like drinking a beer with you and like telling you how much he like loved your band (laughs) and he's just like a a great guy and you know he he passed away in in the last couple years um that that was hard i mean it was it was like we did uh, a zoom memorial Mm. and it was it was actually very like emotional and and uh you know, a celebration of, of the dude because it is like you have a guy who is like just like a dude who loves music so much. Oh yeah. And um gets it and is just like lives, breathes for the glory of that punk rock moment. We need um, we need that kind of people as much as we need musicians, in my opinion. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And and yeah, he was he was both and he uh you know his life was uh I'm sure not easy and there, you know there's only so much I, I've also as I get older I realize like it, we're all icebergs and we just see the tip of the iceberg oh, when we like yeah. know somebody and there's a whole other level to human beings that exist below the surface um and you know and I'm sure he had a bunch of things going on below the surface too but yeah I, I do think that there is some uh as I get older there is more wrestling with like my yeah. friends are all in different, very different phases of their lives. Some of my friends have kids. Some of my friends are going through divorces. Some of my friends, it's, yeah. it's, mm-hmm. it's all over the map. Um, but I still think that like, I love them all. They're all important to me. And, uh, you know, I think yeah. some of that, some of our songs are just kind of processing <laughs> what it's like to be in this 
again, approaching middle age part of your life. Ah. Um, a middle aged punk rock record. Yeah. Just what the world needs. <laughs> I want you to talk to me about the, I think you released a single uh, mixtape generation. Is it? The yeah. Title? Yeah. Uh, uh, um, what is this song about? I think it's super. I love the title. I love the. Music. I heard. So I heard one of your other podcasts where you briefly mentioned a bad uh, experience with uh, weed, with marijuana. <laughs> yeah. With Ephra. Uh, <laughs> this song uh <laughs> it's a, so this song is a little bit about I, I considered about my old band uh and it's kind of about like what it was like to play in this old band with your brother and your like best friends mm -hmm. and um kind of the joy of being like a california punk rock band getting to do music with your friends but then there's a point where like we went to a music festival and like this lady who was like camping next to us at the music festival gave our band a bunch of cookies and she was like don't eat these before you guys go on stage and so we were like cool got it and then we ate them after our set and every person in the band proceeded to have the worst night of their lives oh. um <laughs> as a result of eating whatever was in this cookie oh. and so it is like about this the song is about the kind of anxiety spiral uh that like you have you have like this joyful like yeah we're in this band and it's fun and it's great and then all of a sudden you eat this cookie and it's like oh my god what the fuck am i doing my life is so out of control oh um, that scares and... me a lot i'm scared of pot now since i so for the listeners go back to the episode with Ephraim. i'm talking about this uh, bad trip that i had it's the last <laughs> time i smoked pot ever and it's been like eight years ago i will i will never have this again yeah. <laughs> It's, it's interesting because I was the, uh, our, this thing was about eight years ago too, I, I think, uh, maybe, maybe 10 years. What was eight wrong in, the, in this time? But I was in Amsterdam, so it wasn't probably the same, <laughs> same batch. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because every time I have, you know, I have gone back and tried to like smoke a little bit and been like, but every time I do it now, my brain it's a matter of time before I like kind of cycle back into the same thing that happened that night with the cookie. And at some oh. point, um, my brother and I have, we now have tattoos that say brother, we're in this together because at some point I thought I was going to die. And I was like, <laughs> and I was, I was not doing well. Oh. And like the, whatever it was hit me way before I hit my brother or the rest of the band guys. And so my brother was, uh, <laughs> this is funny. He was going out to get, the one guy in our band, the bass player was the one who didn't eat the cookie. And so he was going to like get the bass player and be like, Hey, Joey, I think Joey needs help. And in the process of like walking 10 feet from like my tent to the bass player's tent, all of a sudden it hit my brother, the cookie. <laughs> and my brother ended up just on all fours, like throwing up. Ah, um, <laughs> that's it was, awful. It, it was a bad scene, but then he came back And he said that he wasn't feeling well. And I was like, dude, brother, we're in this together. Oh. Uh, which is which is the chorus of the song. The song says like, brother, we're in this yeah. together. And it's, it's, the, um, it's, the, <laughs> it's the shitty tattoo that we now have based upon the night that we thought we were going to die. Uh, but you know what? We made it to the other side and we're, we're totally oh, fine. 
wow. Oh, okay, so I'll listen again to this song with this story in mind. Uh, I wanna... it's, it's a little bit all over the place. So, I mean, yeah, it's, okay. uh, I it's not like, well, it's just about the music festival. It's, you know, it's a fairly impressionist version of like anxiety uh, based around this wow. experience. I... Uh, right after this interview, in a few minutes, <laughs> I'll do that. Uh, I love the artwork. So who's the dog on the artwork? I uh, love it. I'm, I'm glad you asked. Um, that is my dog. Well, she uh, she passed away. That's Edna. Oh, no. um, but yeah, Edna I had for 12 years. Um, and I love that dog so much. And it's interesting because I think about like... The pets that you have sort of measure eras in your life or, mm -hmm. you know, you will have like the Fred years or the Edna years or like the whatever dog so title, true. dog name or cat name that you have. Um, and so I feel like the band in this batch of songs, I look at it sort of as like, I almost wanted to call the record songs from like the Edna era. It's the Edna, um, Edna era. Oh. <laughs> um, And yeah, I took that, uh, she was, uh, yeah, she was a rescue dog. Like my, uh, my neighbors found her on a tennis court and she had some health defects. And so we think that somebody abandoned her oh, because no. they didn't want to pay for her like health defects or whatever. Um, and, uh, I, I love that dog so much. She was so, she was so stubborn and so, you know, had a mind of her own, but that, that dog was punk rock. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah i took that picture um in a beach in san diego uh, on the beach in san diego and it was like to be honest it was like towards the end when i knew she wasn't doing very well and so i knew like maybe this is the last time she's gonna like go to the beach and so uh you know she's walking on the beach and i like snapped this like picture of her that just kind of captured like I kind of felt like I captured the vibe. This is like grumpy old dog <laughs> that is still like enjoying being on the yeah. beach because, you know. Uh, and then, yeah, she, I think she made it another uh, few months and then mm -hmm. passed away, which mm -hmm. that was also really hard because my brother and I were writing a, um, <laughs> a, a movie together and the movie we were writing, we were really late on our deadline mm -hmm. um, and we had to turn it in like on a Sunday night. Um, and it was the day that I knew I had to put my dog down, uh, and we were, but we had to do this, like, we had a deadline for our script, uh, or else the, we were going to get in trouble with the producers, etc. Uh, and so I remember telling my brother, I'm like, all right, um, I know we're writing a comedy, and I know it was supposed to be really funny, <laughs> oh, but, shit. like, I have to go put Edna down later this, this afternoon, so... Uh, what a bad day. At, Oof. Yeah, I'm like at lunch, like I'm gonna go back and I might need like an hour or two to like kind of collect myself, but I'll I'll be back and we'll finish the script tonight. And so I went and I did it. It was really it was really oh. heartbreaking, but we had a vet come to our house and it was, you know, it was sad. It was really hard because like they they do it and like I'm like petting her and you can like oh, yeah. I felt like her heartbeat stopped and it was just like you know, she was very peaceful during it, but it's still like, it's fucking heavy. Uh, and then I go back and I have to write a, <laughs> have to write a comedy about, you know, teenagers going to a music festival, which is the last thing I want to do after this moment. Yeah. Um, and so I'm trying, I'm like pitching jokes to my brother. And then at some point I just kind of 
like put my head down and I yeah I like lost it and my brother gave my brother's a good guy and he gave me a nice like pat oh. on the back and he was like dude you probably totally we'll, understood yeah yeah he's like we'll finish this when we finish this she like, was his niece so yeah yeah no Edna was a special dog anybody that was like part of our greater family <laughs> there's actually um uh we had a <laughs> We had an end of life party for Edna, um, oh. where a lot of my friends who like knew her, uh, like we were told by a vet that, uh, oh yeah, she's probably got another like, you know, six weeks before you should put her down. And and so we were like, okay, okay, okay. And it it was right around my birthday, and so for that year we were like, all right, it's Joey's birthday, uh, but we're also going to do like an Edna like celebration of life party Aww. and so all my friends came everybody wore all black and like everybody like took pictures with Edna mm. and then the dog like lived another year and a half like no way <laughs> she, uh. she wasn't re she wasn't ready to go yet that's um, so amazing but yeah she was she's you know I think in life you have like a handful of those like special animals that you have like a special bond with and uh you know for what it's worth Edna it, you know, was that dog? It's also crazy, like the amount of stuff that you go through in the lifespan of a dog. Yeah. I went through like a big breakup. I moved across the country twice. I yeah. got uh, married. You know, like so many things happened over the span of this like animal's life, and like she was like the one constant through it all. You know, she was like the thing that like mm. when your, did your dog just kind of is with you through the whole thing. When did it happen? When did she pass? Uh, it was 2019. So oh. it was like, it was pretty much right when we started recording the record. So it was, they it, it, it collide. Do you dream about her sometimes? Because I still, I had a dog when I was really young and he died when I was like 22. And I still dream about him Maybe once a year, I dream that he was just lost and he's back. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I for sure, I, I for sure had like, <laughs> I have for sure had Edna in my dreams. And it's like, uh, yeah, I think it's our dreams are a way of like processing the, the like shit that goes on in real life. Um, mm. Yeah, I don't know. And, and it's, it's just like E.T. At, at the end of E.T., E.T. puts his finger on Elliot's head and says, I'll be right here. <laughs> and oh, I do feel like, you know, animals and stuff and like, and, you know, friends that you have and lose and fever friends that come in your life and maybe mm. move away or do whatever. Like, the thing is, you always have them in your memory uh, mm -hmm. until your memory starts to go, which is a whole other story. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. But I think that there's something about, uh, it is, you, you, it can get nostalgic and can, I think sometimes nostalgia can be, you know, dangerous sometimes, but like, it is important to be able to like reflect on the things that you are important to you and keep them in your memory. And like, if you start to lose connection to that, like that to me gets scary and dangerous. Um, my brother and I always have this, uh, uh argument with our parents because our parents like often can be very unsentimental and oh. like they're they have they, you know they'll take down pictures of family and like sometimes you go to their house and it just seems like decorated like uh without much 
connection to like <laughs> the past or to oh. family. And me and my brother are always big on like, no, we have our records, we have our favorite books, we have pictures of the people that we love and care mm-hmm. about because part of that is like reminders on the wall of all the things around you that make you you and make you feel connected to Mm -hmm. the people that you love or connected to certain memories or eras of your life. And I think that shit's important because if you like lose touch with that, then you start to lose some touch with your past and who you are. Um, And so, yeah, I think it's important just like keep, keep that stuff around you. Yeah. Oh, wow. I've never seen this that way, but it's true. Wow. Oh, we've been talking for an hour. That's great. Um, I have two questions for from the listeners. But before, uh, what are the next projects? Are you going to tour? Are you going to come play in Quebec City or something? What's the next plan for to. the band? Yeah, I would love to. Uh, I mean, because uh, we did a little run of California or like West Coast shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that I'm over on the East coast, I'm like, dude, we, we gotta play, we gotta play some East coast shows. And so yeah. I think we're working on that right now. We're trying to talk about with another band about a tour. It's looking like it might happen. Uh, East coast run would love to get up your way. We can meet in person. Yes. Um, and then, uh, we're playing fest in Florida and we might do some uh... shows, uh, around that as well. Um, and then because the songs that we wrote were uh three years ago like or we recorded them three years ago yeah. i have like a shit ton of new songs that we're really that, excited to yeah that, to that's what i i wondered yeah oh cool and so uh, i think the plan is um at some point in the next probably before uh winter or before, uh, go out to la and just record a bunch of them and then uh, was interesting or nice about this next batch is that I don't think we're going to be as like precious about stuff. I think we want to go into a studio, be like a live band and then just like record them, keep it very simple and rock and roll. Um, and then, yeah, hopefully Jeff and Emily will want to release them. Yeah. Oh, I'm not worried about that. <laughs> nice. Okay. And two last questions from the listeners. Uh, okay. I love this one. because I, I remember think that maybe uh, are you influenced by the band pop you know the, the Canadian oh, oh, yeah yeah I, yeah I I like pop a lot um I remember one of my friends uh like gave me I forgot what single it was but it was like an early pop like single and he was like <laughs> he told me he's like this is what your band would sound like if you guys were all really good at your instruments <laughs> That's what my patron Ryan said. Like um, he said, it's. I feel like they have some kind of. I don't remember what he said, but uh, the in kind of evolution pop uh, have or you know. And I, yeah. I feel some influences too. I don't know if. Yeah, yeah. It, I I I love them, and it is it is like. Uh, yeah, there is something about like pop and like Jeff Rosenstock, like the people that people that I know that like grew up on the exact same influences Mm -hmm. and they've like found a way to like synthesize and process those influences into this thing that um does feel like yeah you 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 feel late 90s punk rock uh you know you feel some of the early 2000s like indie rock vibes and then it just kind of like collides into this sound that kind of it feels mm-hmm. feels now it's like nostalgic a little bit but it also feels sort of like its own thing i think pup does that and yeah. jeff rosenstock they do that so 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 well 
and so, yeah, I'll consider ourselves like a, a lesser version of both of those bands. <laughs> and uh, Jess has a question. Who would be your dream band to open for or to go on tour with? Um, that's a great question. Uh, so I, I've become friends with like one of the dudes, or the main guy from the band, The Hold Steady. Um, and I grew up like in college, really loving them. I, I like feel like they got the punk thing. They like Descendants and Replacements, but they also like Bruce Springsteen. And uh, we opened, my old band opened for them one night in Madison, Wisconsin. And it was just like their audience like got us. And they like, I, you know, especially after I told you about some of those tours that we did where the audience didn't get us, like the whole steady audience got us. Oh. And they were like, and, and afterwards talking to the singer from the whole steady, Craig, we talked about books and we talked about like really nerdy shit. And I just was like, oh man, if we would just have gone on tour with you, I still might want to do the band. But that was at the very end of my old band's, you know, run. We decided to break up like pretty much right after that. And so I think the near beer would go really well with the Hold Steady. And uh, we'll, you know, maybe someday we can play some shows with the Hold Steady and, and open uh, for them. Um, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, good. Love those guys. I'll check them. I don't know them. I don't think they're so. good. They're, I mean, they're, they were originally from like Minneapolis and they're now in Brooklyn. And, uh, mm -hmm. it, it is like, it's kind of like a bar band, but you can tell that they grew up listening to, you know, they list, they list grew up listening to the descendants and black flag and replacements and like, uh. um, have like a punk rock ethos, but underneath, but also it does feel like American bar band stuff too. Um, and he's a really good lyricist storyteller. Uh, that's that's one of the things that stands out to me about him. Nice. Thank you so much, Joey. It was a very okay. nice time. We could talk for hours. So, yeah, yeah it's fun. I, I, wish I you could... appreciate this. So I, I think you love to read. So if you have some books, uh, recommendations, just write me. I love to read, too. I, I decided that I would spend less time on Instagram and more time with books. Because it makes me feel amazing. So if you have any, I love everything. So I would love right, to have some I, suggestions. I'll send you a list of some of my favorites. Um, but yeah, I, I I do love a good book. So. Yeah, and so the listeners, I will put a lot of links in the show notes through all your stuff, and so cool. people can know more about that. So it was super fun. I'm I might plan to go on a solo trip in New York eventually. So maybe we could. Cool. Please, yeah, let me know if you want to get, we can get lunch, get coffee. If you play there with your band, maybe I could attend to the show or something. But yeah, it's fun. You have a, you have a permanent spot on a guest list ah! any, anytime you want. Cool, cool, cool. That, sound, that sounds great. Good. Uh, thank, thank you. you. This, this has been so much fun. Yeah. I, I really love what you do. Oh, thank you. Have a great day.
And also you can give me a review on iTunes and five stars and subscribe to the show and give me some feedback and follow me on Instagram. Check the show notes. Bye-bye.